Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. This morning at the next session in uh, in our series called Premier, uh, if the Premier has given you life, then put on his uniform. So how we get dressed is, is really important. And when we say premiere, and I'll explain this a little bit more, we're talking about Jesus. He's premier, he's first, he's the greatest in all things. If the premier has given you life, we're starting with what's called a conditional statement that starts with what? If. If the premier has given you life. Verse 1 in chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ. So what we're assuming here is the first two chapters. That talks about, especially in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 22, that Christ is the, the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And firstborn there is talking about the one who has the most importance. It's his birthright. He's the most important. Not that he's created, but that he's the first over the creation. So he's the first. He's the premier. He's the image of the invisible God. And he died to make a way for us to know God again. See, left to ourselves, we just don't know God, right? I mean, unless somebody had explained it to us, how would we know? I would say that we probably wouldn't, and especially if we go all the way back to the beginning, the firstborn of creation, that we wouldn't know unless God had told us. And so God, over and over again in the Old Testament, is introducing himself. He starts with Adam and Eve, he makes them, he talks to them, they screw up. Things don't go really well. Then he has to introduce himself again to Abram. And he shows up in his life and says, hey, I'm God, and you're going to follow me, so go and do what I say. And so he does. He introduces himself to Isaac, and he introduces himself to Jacob, each in their own different ways. And over and over again, he's saying, I am God. You guys keep forgetting that I am God. Until we get to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who says, I am God. Follow me. He's the firstborn. He's premier. He's over everything. And if you have been raised with Christ, see, if you're raised, that means you were what? Unraised? You were dead. What's that? Yeah, you were dead. You were absolutely dead. And so if you have been raised with Christ, as a conditional statement, and so I'm not assuming that I'm talking to everybody this morning, but if you have been, then the rest of this chapter is written specifically to you. If you follow Christ, if you trust him to forgive you for your sin, then this is where we're at. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That image, seated at the right hand of God, is one of power, one of authority. He is calling the shots. And so if you've been raised with him, seek the things that are above. Think about these things. Set your mind on the things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And verse 4 is our hope. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We have this hope that he's given us life and our life will be revealed when he shows up again. And if the premier has given you life, then what? How do we apply this? Because you might read this and go, okay, seek the things that are above. Like, okay, I can think, like, I can study theology and I can, I can do church stuff all the time and constantly be thinking about church stuff. But that doesn't change how I have to work at my job. That doesn't change how I have to live in my family. Like, that's just, that's separated. That's, that's spiritual stuff. And my life is made up of spiritual stuff. That stuff's important. Yeah, for sure. But my life is also real. How do you apply this? The rest of this chapter is application. So if you're looking for application, you're looking for something to take home, we got something for you. So let's continue in, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So if the premier has given you life, take off your dead clothes. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he gives two separate lists, and these are touchy. So bear with me as we look at God's word. The first in verses 5 through 7 is our sex life. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So remember, we started with a conditional statement here. If you have been raised with Christ. And so if you're saying, I'm not, I don't follow Christ, I'm just checking this out, I'm not really sure about anything that's going on, and this makes me really uncomfortable, Paul's not talking to you. He's talking to the people that have been raised with Christ, who claim Christ as their Lord and who want to follow him. And the first place that Jesus and the Holy Spirit put his finger on is your sex life. Because at the very beginning, we were made in God's image. In God's image, he made us male and female, and that sexual relationship is special to God. And in a lot of ways, he takes that very seriously. And to live otherwise there at the end of verse 7 is idolatry. Well, what is idolatry? I'm not bowing down. We actually made a joke in our house this week. We had a bunch of candles lit on the table, and we happened to have this little bird statue that is, a, is an old joke from college. It's one of Jesse's old jokes. And so we had lit these candles, and I put the bird up there, and I was like, hey, Jesse, look. And uh, she was like, no, we can't do this. Like, 
Like, and I, I said very facetiously, hear our prayers, oh, our bird god thing. And uh, I thought, this is so ridiculous. Who would worship an idol? It doesn't make any sense. Because the, the thing's unblinking. It didn't hear me. It didn't care what I was saying to it. It's a piece of wood or plaster or something. So, uh, I mean, us, we're modern Americans. We're, we're, we're scientific thinkers. We obviously say that thing is dead. It has no power. I don't worship idols. But here he says these things are idolatry, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And idolatry is living as if something or someone else is God over life. And that could be your job. There's a lot of men whose job is God. I gotta make the next paycheck. I gotta make the boss proud at the cost of everything else. The, the idol could be yourself. This is what I like. This is what feels good to me. This is what I want from life. I am God over life. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And these two, you once walked. You were walking in them. You were constantly, this was your lifestyle. You walked in this way. But now, since you were raised with Christ, you don't. So he starts with our sex life, and then he moves on to our social life in verses 8 through 11. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. See, we can get angry at circumstances. Like, that happens sometimes. We just get frustrated. But more often than not, we get angry with people. We can be wrathful. We can, like, just have this severe anger. But most of the time, it's directed towards people. Malice, wanting to hurt somebody, like, that's definitely directed at a person. And oftentimes, it's while we're driving. Slander, talking poorly about somebody, saying something that's not true about them, that's a person. An obscene talk. Well, when do you feel most compelled to talk obscenely? It's when you're trying to show off for your buddies. It's just guy talk. It's just girl talk. Mm. This is your social life he's got his finger on. And what's interesting is, is the first few verses, we had a diminished view of the image of God in ourself, where we were saying, I am God, or something else is God other than God. We had a diminished view of God's image in, in ourself. We don't see that we were made to worship God as God. But here, we have a diminished view of the image of God in other people. We forget so quickly that, yeah, I'm special. God made me like him, but that guy is really messed up. We're really quick to jump there. And so here, he's attacking a diminished view of the image of God in others. And he puts his finger in verse 11 on different things that were super important to them. Uh, Greek and Jew, what is your religious heritage? How did you grow up? Did you grow up believing the Torah, or did you grow up believing paganism and hedonism and all of those different kinds of things, and then you came to Christ, and now you're Christians together, but you don't have any idea how that guy used to live. 
Whether you grew up in church or whether you just walked in off the street and trusting Jesus as your Lord, there is no division here. Circumcised and uncircumcised is another avenue of that, although it typically got more divisive within the Jew. So if you were raised in church, were you raised Episcopalian? Were you raised Baptist? Barbarian, uncivilized, redneck, Scythian. Uh, these guys lived up north, and they were just kind of like violent people. Their nation was violent. And so they had a real, real bad reputation. Slave. I own that guy. Or free. These divisions don't exist. These religious um, uh, geographical or political differences, they don't exist. Why? Christ is all and in all. For those of us who have come to Christ and trusted in him, these differences are washed away. They're not swept under the carpet. We don't pretend like it's not there, but we trust that Christ has delivered us from them and he's wiped them away. These things are dead. I don't know the last time you felt really, really angry. The last time you were really wrathful, and maybe it was while you are driving. I mean, you guys drove a long way this morning. Um, but maybe it was something else. Like, when was the last time you were really, 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 really angry, and you just... Ah! It doesn't feel dead, does it? It burns. It, it, it's compulsive. It, it, it's taking physical manifestation in your body. And yet we see here in the scripture that if you have been raised with Christ, these things are dead. So if you have been raised with Christ, take off your dead clothes. How do we do this? It's easy for me to take a jacket off and a tie off and to unbutton my top, but I can just do that. But how do we put to death these things which are already dead that feel alive in the moment? We have to go to God for them. You realize you've never seen your face? You've only ever seen an image of it. You've only ever seen a reflection or a picture. And usually if you look in a mirror, you're looking at your left and right or reverse. You've never seen your face. And so sometimes we are the people least qualified to identify what's wrong with us because we can't see ourselves. And so the first place we go is we go to God and we go to his word and we say, God, I can't see what the problem is, but I trust that you have perfect vision. And so will you show me what is sin in my life? Do we go to him and we pray? We pray to him to identify these things. Show me what is sin and what is not sin. We pray to him to take them off. He's the one who forgave them. He's the one who has washed us. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. One of the ways that we know God is working in us is when we have self-control. So we have to go through his word and really, his people are a big help in this. I like to think that I can handle my God life by myself. 
I like to think that I'm mature enough or I like to think that I'm wise enough to say, hey, God, I can read this and I can figure out what it is you're doing. But sometimes I need Pastor Ryan. Sometimes I need Pastor Todd. Sometimes I need my friend Josh to say, hey, Michael, you're missing this. Go check with the word. Pray about this. And is this a sin? Is this dead clothes that you need to take off? Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, his, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its image of its creator. If you jump down to verse 12, it says, put on then. There's a little bit of a dilemma because there's, there's what Christ has already accomplished and then there's how we walk this out because he's saying you have already put off the old self in verse 9 and you have already in verse 10 put on the new self and then in verse 12 he's saying put on then these characteristics of the new self when we come to Jesus and we trust him he does a work in our lives and he changes things that we cannot see but that's the first step in following him he changes the rest of our lives, and we follow him the rest of our lives, and we're constantly going to him saying, God, how am I screwing up? God, how am I making you pleased? God, will you walk with me today? And what's fascinating to me is that this new self is being processed. This is a process. is being renewed in what? The image of its creator. How, in the knowledge of the image of his creator, right? We were created in his image and then we screwed it up. It got messed up and now we don't really know who we are or who we are supposed to be. So when we come to know the image of God, who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus. The more we know about him, the more we know of him, most importantly, the more we know him, the more we ourselves are renewed to look like him. That sounds really, really pretty. And those are good church words, but how do we do that? What does that actually look like in our real life? Reactions every day. Taking off your dead clothes, but that's not enough. Let's continue in, in, in chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if the premier has given you life, take off your dead clothes and put on his uniform of life. Now, we're Americans, we like our individualism, we like to wear what we want to wear, and when we see uniform, it makes us uncomfortable. I don't want to look like everybody else, I'm a unique person. You're absolutely right. But what is Christ's uniform of life? It's not to make us all look the same, it's to bring us to a genuine unity. The uniform of life here is described in the verses that we just read, putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and put on love. These things are things you cannot do in isolation. You cannot, I mean you can. You can be patient uh, in a circumstance by yourself, but the most trying times are when you have to be patient with somebody else. You, you can be kind as a person, but you don't really know your kindness until it's been tested by somebody who's hard to be kind to. You can be compassionate over stuff that's going on in the world, but are you compassionate with people? He's coming back to our social life. And really, he's, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the church at Colossae, the Colossians. If, you've, if you have been in church for any amount of time, and in verse 13, you don't have a complaint against another person, then you've probably just been sleeping the whole time. I think, I, I think that this conditional statement is ironic. If anyone has a complaint, oh, that's ironic. Because I had, I mean, I get 10 a minute. Like, that's just how it goes. We're just constantly, there's stuff going on that just irks your nerves. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Oh, okay, well, I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. Forgive you how? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. What hasn't Jesus forgiven us for? Has he, has he not forgiven us for running away from him? Has he not forgiven us for dragging his name through the mud? Has he not forgiven us for being mean? Has he not forgiven us for killing his son? Has he not forgiven us for being impatient? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. He ties it all together in verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we're tempted to think that this word love is a feeling. It's something that we can fall into and out of and we don't have any control over it. But love is seeing a need and meeting a need without expecting anything in return. True love is when somebody steps on your toes, is when somebody has stabbed you in the back is when somebody has done something to wrong you, you choose to say, I will remain faithful to you. That is true love. True love is not this feeling we fall into and out of. True love 
is the conscious decision to pursue somebody else's best interest, even when it costs you everything. By this we know love, that he laid down his life. You're going to see next week in verse 4 um, a fellow named Onesimus who shows up. Um, and Paul doesn't get into it too much in chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 4. I should have said that previously. Paul doesn't get into it in chapter 4 who Onesimus is. To find that out, you've got to read a book called Philemon. And Onesimus was a slave. He ran away from his master. He very likely stole money from him and was gone. And he met Paul. And Paul introduced him to Jesus. And now Paul is sending him back to his master, the slave who had run away. Not as a slave, not as property be returned, but as a brother. And he probably isn't bringing that money back either. It's just him. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. These things are active. We have to pursue unity in the body. We cannot just come and sit and expect everything to remain peaceful. These are active things that we must do. We must put on these things. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace and be thankful. This gratitude is a little bit more passive. If we're active in maintaining unity and seeking the good of other people beyond ourselves, we can also rest in peace. Not in, 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 in death in a literal sense, but the death of our old clothes as we put on new ones. And so we get together on a weekly basis and we encourage one another and we teach one another. What I think is fun is we teach one another in songs, too. On Wednesday, you likely won't remember if the premier has given you life, take off your dead clothes and put on his uniform of life. But you right, might remember grace and peace. How can this be? Let songs of thankfulness ever rise and ever cease. We teach one another through singing. And what I also like is we teach one another through singing through various kinds of songs. There's hymns. There's spiritual songs. There's, there's different songs. There's not one set thing. And when he says hymns there, I guarantee you he's not carrying around the Baptist hymnal. Like, that's not inspired. Those songs hadn't even been written yet. Martin Luther hadn't written The Mighty Fortress is Our God when Paul told the Colossians to sing hymns. It just hadn't happened. So there are all different kinds of songs and psalms. And I think psalms are songs that are scripture that we sing. And we do that. I, I used an example earlier. By this we know love, that he laid down his life. It's a song we sing. But it's also 1 John chapter 3, chapter 4. 
So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion to hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And as if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put the, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, unity, and be thankful, gratitude for what God has done. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. It's not one way from the pulpit. Teaching and admonishing one another in our wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, and this is, this is the overarching thing, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you are getting ready to do something, can I do this in the name of Jesus? We don't think this way. Can I hold this grudge in the name of Jesus? Can I be angry at that person for doing that thing in the name of Jesus? Can I live as if I am God of my life and I can make all the decisions based upon what I feel in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It doesn't work. One of the things that was really, really interesting, I, I had these different shoes as I started working and this is the first time I'd ever had a job like this. I was hired to be a gardener. I was hired to be a, a, a groundskeeper, and I'd never done it before. And so I would get dressed for work, and the best thing that I knew how to pretend to be a gardener, because I'd never been a gardener before, and I was pretending, and I was faking. And now I go to work. I'll go to work tomorrow morning. And I won't think twice about the shoes that I put on. I won't think twice about the pants that I wear because I know those things are the best things that I can find to do the job that I've been asked to do. I don't have to pretend to be a gardener anymore. I've dressed up enough. I've done enough research. I've known enough about my job to be able to walk confidently and, and dress confidently in what I've been called to do. It's not enough to just take off your dead clothes. We must also put on his uniform of life. And so he closes with this. It's a, a case study in the home in verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there's a case study for all of this, because he's already tried to apply these things to the church body, and that is a really, 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 really difficult application to love people that you are not related to when you're called together to do 
church stuff. We all have opinions, we all have experiences, we all know how we would like for things to get done, and so sometimes it's hard to love the people in your church, but we also know from experience that it's really, 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 really difficult to love the family that you're placed in because you don't get to choose them. You can't just withdraw your membership and ship out to the family down the road. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What's interesting here is that he doesn't use the word obey, which would have been the common way to express uh, the wife-husband relationship in that world. Wives, just obey your husband. No, it's not obey, it's submit. And there's a whole lot that we could unpack here, but I think it's related to Jesus being the image of the invisible God, us being renewed in the knowledge of his creator and knowing that there was a dynamic of Adam being the leader from the beginning. And so if God has appointed the husband to be the leader in the family, then submit to that, support him in what he's been called to do and follow him. And that is, that is a, I'm flying over that verse at you know, 35,000 feet, so I understand there are lots of discussions about that, but I'll move on. Look in, in verse 20, children, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, our children went back to Kid Nation, and so uh, we're like, oh, well, you're just like, oh, okay, well, I'm not really a kid anymore, but we never grow out of being children, do we? And I find that obeying your parents or showing, um, showing respect to your parents is harder the older you get. When you start to see your parents as human, you're like, oh, what do I do? I disagree. How do I show honor to my folks? Verse 22, he, he talks about this a lot. Slaves, And we usually don't think of slaves as being like part of the family. But in this time, if you had a slave, they were your servant, they were in your house all the time, they were probably primarily responsible for watching the kids. Like, they were, they were part of your household. So we're talking about, in the family, slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. None of us here are slaves. And so we're like, oh, you know, whatever. Like, it's just slaves. But all of us have worked. And all of us have put on this, uh, this fakeness of just trying to please the boss, even when we know we're not doing a good job. So as you work... Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Why can you be sincere of heart? Because you fear the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Even if you have the worst boss in the world, you don't work for him. You work for Jesus. And whatever you do, or excuse me, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, just in case you missed it. And the wrongdoer will be paid back for, what, for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So God's going to take care of this. You can have a bad boss. You can work as, uh, as if you're working for Jesus for that person. They can benefit from your hard work and just trust that God's got this. He's taking care of the results. And that's super hard to do. So you say, all right, Michael, you, uh, you skip verse 19, and 
you skip verse 21, and now you're skipping 4.1. No, 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 no. Of all the things that have been said, and the difficult truths, and the difficulty in applying those things, what he has listed here are three separate offices, but I think he's addressing the same person in the family. Because the husband is also the father, and he's also going to be the one that the slaves are going to call master. So for all the requirements and all of the things that God is saying, hey, wives and children and slaves, apply these things to your life. He's saying more so over to the fathers. Hey, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. If God tells you to do something, the odds are he's telling you to do it because you're not inclined to do it naturally. Husbands, you're not inclined to love your wives. God has to tell you to do that because you will choose something else. And what is love? Love is putting someone else's need before yourselves, even when they've offended you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That is, that is so packed. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't constantly berate them. It's so easy, and I, I know this from experience, it's so easy to see all the wrong things that are frustrating to you that your kids are doing and to overlook the awesome things that they're doing that really make you proud to be their parent. But fathers, do you speak to your kids in a way that would be discouraging to them? Do you speak to them to tear them down and to make yourself feel better? Do you speak to them because you genuinely care for them and you want to see them do better? And do you do that in such a way that they can understand and be encouraged by it. And then as a master treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven, this is the overarching thing. Over and over. I don't know if you noticed this, but God is the heart. Jesus is the heart of these verses. Whatever else we say about it, wives submit to your husbands as is what? Fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Slaves, obey in everything the earthly masters, not by way of eye service, of people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your, Lord, as your reward. You are serving the Lord. So masters, treat your slaves fairly and justly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If the premier has given you life, then take off your dead clothes and put on his uniform in life. And if you wanted to put it simply, you could just say if the premier, if Christ, if the first in everything has given you life, then put on his uniform. And we know from our discussion today that you can't just put it on. There's some other things you're taking off at the same time. We started, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And we, we asked the question, how practical is that? Do I just sit around thinking about spiritual stuff and just praying all the time? Like, who can do that? Like, do I become a monk? Set my mind on things that are above. 
as we do that, it works out in the rest of our lives. It works out in our sex life, in our social life. It works out in our church and in our families. The way that we behave with other people is directly correlated to how we understand God. If we don't know who he is, then we treat people however. And the more we come to know him, not just about him, not just things about him or, or facts, but the more we know him personally, it will change the way that we relate to other people. So if, and this is conditional, if the premier has given you life, then put on his uniform. And if he has not given you life, you say, I don't even know what this Jesus guy is, then I hope you've been introduced to some of his character through the things that he's asked his followers to do. And if not, I invite you to go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 22, where he describes that he died for you and offers you new life. And if you choose to follow him, take that first step today. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web. Calagrace.org.